All right. Victor Antonio, what's going on, man? How are you today? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself, DJ? I'm feeling good. Yeah, things things are on the up. Like I said, it's always good to have a fellow bald brother in here on uh, on the show. Bald so we brothers unite, brother. Bald brothers that's, unite. <laughs> that's it, man. The bald mafia. That's what I like to call oh, there it. There you go. There you go. I love it. So uh, what's going on, man? I mean, you uh, looking at your background, mm-hmm. uh, we have kind of a lot in common. So you're from you grew up in Chicago. And but now you're in Atlanta, so kind of walk me through that. Man, so it's been a long journey. Uh, so born and raised in Chicago, my family is originally from Puerto Rico, but they moved to Chicago in the late 50s. Uh, so I was born there in Chicago, and so I went to school, got an engineering degree, thought that was the thing to do. And when I graduated with my engineering degree, I went to um, got my first job in Minnesota. Yeah, sure, <laughs> you betcha, man. Ludifus and left side, all that stuff. Oli and Lena. Uh, if you're from the Midwest, you just understood what I said. If you're not, don't worry about it. Move on. And so I lived in Minnesota for a while. Um, got in from engineering. I went into sales while I was there. Uh, then got offered a vice president of sales for Latin America. So I actually moved down to Argentina. I took the whole family down to Argentina. Uh, we were down there for quite a while. And after about two, maybe yeah, two years, I moved back. My wife said, let's go back to Minnesota. I'm like, eh, I don't think so. And so we wound up going to Miami. We were in Miami for five years. My wife's like, I don't like it here. And when the wife says, I don't like it here, it's time to move. So we negotiated Georgia just because it has a great airport and I could travel from there. I didn't want to go back up north. And she wanted to leave Miami, so we settled in Georgia. And that's how we got to Atlanta. Fantastic, man. Well, so we have kind of a, a few things in common. So I'm actually calling you right now from Chicago. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but I'm also an engineer turned podcaster turned entrepreneur. So really? how do you, yeah, so how did you, uh, like, cause for most people, electrical engineering and sales couldn't be more disconnected. So how was that transition made in your career? Yeah. So what happened was I got into engineering and people always ask me why I go money. What else? Uh, and so I got, I went into engineering cause you know, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so I wanted a career that actually paid, had a good ROI. And so I was told engineers make a lot of money. So I decided on electrical engineering. And so three years into my gig, man, DJ, I'm not, I'm not digging this anymore, man. I'm just like, oh, you know, programming, writing software, testing parts, whatever, maybe. And so little by little, I started moving towards what they call application engineer, which is a little more removed from the actual, pro, you know, programming. Application engineers where you work with salespeople to help them design systems. I was designing wireless systems at the time. And so I was traveling with salespeople designing wireless systems. I would add, you know, we do four-legged calls, if you remember what that is, is where you go with the salesperson. Salesperson does all the schmoozing, so to speak, setting it up and like, all right, Victor, you take it over, give them all the technical stuff. And so it would be, you know, the yin and yang. And after a while, true story is that we, we sold a $5 million system. I, I built a $5 million system, DJ. Ken, the salesperson, calls me one day and said, dude, we sold it. And I think I, I mentioned one of the stories in my podcast. And we sold the system. Ken says, dude, I am taking you out to lunch. So he takes me out to lunch. I swear to you, he drops about 50 bucks on me on a steak and a beer. And I'm all happy, little young engineer coming back to the office, all happy with my big belly full of a steak and a beer. And his old engineer's name was Roy. Roy's like, what are you so happy about? I said, man, Ken took me out for a piece of steak. It was great. It was awesome. And Roy said, Victor, let me ask you a question. I said, what? He says, he says, how much did he drop on you? He said, I said, he had to drop at least, you know, $50, half a C note. And he goes, how much commission do you think you'll make on that system? And I go, I don't know. He says, somewhere between 50 and 75,000. Hope you enjoyed that steak. And he just walked away. And at that point, I go, wait a minute. I designed the system. I think I could do this. And so that coincided with uh, my wife deciding she wanted to stay home and take care of the kids and not let the child be raised in daycare. So I said, you know, if I go into sales, I can make more money. 
she says, go into sales. It requires a lot of traveling, and that was the agreement. I would have to travel a lot, and that's how I got into sales. I've been money-driven for a long time, DJ. I just have to confess that right away. <laughs> hey, I, I'm with you, man. I mean, money does a lot of great things for a, a lot of uh, a lot of people. So yeah, I, I'm on board with that. Yeah, I do, you know. By the way, I I I've coined the phrase. I'm t- I'm taking ownership of this one because people always say money doesn't buy happiness. And my new response is money guarantees you one thing, and that is options. You think about that. Money doesn't guarantee you a lot of things, but it will guarantee you options. So if you want to send your kid to a private school, send them to a private school. You want to send them to a public school, go. You know, you want to quit the job, not quit the job. You want to go on vacation, not vacation. Whatever you want to be happy, not happy. Money does guarantee you options. And I think that's a good way of looking at money. Absolutely. You kind of transition. You you understand the importance of sales and kind of transition your career that way. Walk me through how does that, you know, your career trajectory take you over to eventually starting a podcast uh, about three years ago. Yeah, and so what happened was, uh, and, I, and I'll go through the story real quickly. So left engineering, got into sales. Things are going well. Ah, champion, right? Killing it, making big money. Uh, years before that, he's seen a speaker named Zig Ziglar. Don't know if you know who he is, but mm-hmm. he's a speaker. I saw him one time. I said, one day I want to be just like him. So in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a speaker. And so sure enough, uh, May 9th, 2001, 3.48 p.m. to be exact, I, <laughs> I quit corporate America. I just said, you know, I'm done. And it was it was building for a long time, but that was the day I pulled the trigger and made the call. That's how I know the time. Uh, and I called the chairman. I was president of sales and marketing. It was a $420 million company, but I wanted to do my own thing. I had, the, I had this thing which I have called the quiet discontent. And the quiet discontent is that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach like, man, I'm just not, you know, I'm not doing my thing. You know what I mean? And so I quit and I said, I'm going to be a speaker. I'm going to write books. So since then, I've written 13 books. Uh, I do a lot of my, my keynotes are mostly sales slash motivation, a lot of sales training. And then about three years ago, well, first of all, I, I listened to Gary Vaynerchuk and read his book about 10, 11 years ago, Crush It. And mm-hmm. Gary was the one that kind of talked me into going into video all in with video. So I have about, I don't know, 1,100, 1,200 videos on YouTube now. And then about two, two and a half years ago, even though Gary was saying podcast, 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 I was like, eh, I don't know. And then so about two years ago, I made, two and a half years ago, something like that, I made the, the plunge. I said, let me do some podcasts. And this month will be the first month we hit 100,000 downloads. So wow. I'm actually very proud of that. That's impressive. Yeah. That's uh, congratulations on hitting that milestone. Build, Slow building, dude. But I got there, DJ. I got there. Hundred thousand, man. I'm getting there. This month will That's be the fantastic. first month, man. We're on track. We're at we're at we're at like seventy two thousand already. I just checked. So we're oh, perfect. Cool. Yeah. And by the way, we're recording this on the seventeenth of July. So yeah, you'll you've got a lot of runway. You're yeah. more than half of the month or roughly half days. the month. Fourteen more days. I'm counting. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Who's counting, right? <laughs> um, well, so how was that transition? Was it a pretty natural progression for you uh, going from the video format to podcasting? It was. I think going through the video actually helped me do the podcast that much easier. You know, because when you video, I think you're more self-conscious of how you look, the lighting, your bald head, whatever it may be, you know. And so there's something about a podcast. It's just your voice. And I keep getting a lot of comments. You know, I, I really like your voice, Victor. I really like your voice. I really like, you know, to hear your voice. And so that was part of jumping into it. But I was also seeing that the market was moving in that direction because I started seeing myself listening to more podcasts. You know how you kind of use yourself as a litmus test sometimes? Well, mm-hmm. I'm starting to listen to more podcasts. Maybe I should really do some podcasts. So for those of who, those people who've listened to my podcast, you know they're 10 to 15 minutes, right? And the way I got there was I was talking to a friend of mine, and, he, and I asked him, do you listen to podcasts? He goes, no. You go, Why? He says, you know, they're very good stuff out there, very informative. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's too long, Victor. 
you know, I'm, I can't dedicate 45 minutes. And I said, so what would you dedicate? And he said, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. I'll dedicate 15 minutes. And so I, I, the most I think, the longest I've gone, unless it's an interview, is 15 minutes. But typically I try to keep it around 10 minutes. And mm-hmm. my strategy is, as you've pointed out, you, you, I tell a story, make a point, time together, and then say, here's how it applies to you. That's my formula. Here's a story or here's a piece of data. Here's the point I want to make. And then here's how it applies to you. That's the straight up formula of all my podcasts. Yeah. Is that, is that how you kind of start? I mean, I, going back through your backlog, it seems like that has been the format since day one. Yes. Um, how that did you kind of come? Was, is that just how you operate? Yeah. That, that, that's the way the way my brain thinks. Uh, the engineering part kicks in a lot sometimes. The engineering part says, I see a piece of data, right? Like, for mm-hmm. example, you know, uh, Forrester says, you know, the average buyer is 74% into the buying process. Okay, that means they formed their preferences, right? So you go, hmm, what do I do with that one? So wait a minute, I've, I've met customers who pretty much know what they want already. All right, so I get those two pieces of data, right? Oh, that's what Forrester says. Well, that's kind of true because people seem to know what they want. So then I tell a story. Then I just set it up and I go, hey, this is Victor Antonio, Sales Influence Podcast, blah, blah, blah. Hey, so I came across an interesting piece of data. Da, 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 74% of buyers are in the buying process, blah, 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 blah. I said, that makes sense because the other day I was talking to a customer, da 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 da, da and he had gone online, he had done research, he looked at like 10 different websites, da, da, so that makes sense. Now, how does this apply to you? If they're going online to look for da da da, maybe you should da 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 be online so they can find your information and then da 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 be part of the buying process. That's it. This is Victor Antonio. I'm out of here. That's kind of the podcast right there. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I mean, that's what I was, I was mentioning it before uh, we started recording here, yeah. but um, you do such a good job of, telling the story and, and hooking the audience and making like, I listened to a few of your episodes and I'm like, Oh, I already know way more about sales because like I can internalize yeah. these concepts through these stories. Um, which I think is, is an incredible art. How long did it take you, uh, from, you know, cause from episode one to where you're at today, there's obviously been a, a huge progression. How long did it take for you to really feel like you had honed your voice as a podcaster? I would say it took me about 50. Okay. The first 50 kind of just like figuring it out. I don't think it was that long, but I, I, if I were to throw a number off the top of my head, I think it was 50, where I'm like, okay, I'm feeling this, because then you start layering other things. So if you listen to my podcast, you'll see different elements start to come in. You know, I start, I start to tell slower stories. I stop to drop my voice. Now here's what's going to happen. You know, you start doing stuff like that, and then you, you just start adding more drama to it, and then you can just start having fun. And so I, I learned that formula, by the way. Uh, I, I belonged to an organization years ago called Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. Toastmasters is a speaking organization where you learn how to speak. And the basic formula is story, point, story, point. Tell a story, make a point. And that was usually, if you look at a keynote, you look at all my keynotes, it's story, point. I tell a story, make a point. Tell a story, another point, make a point. But then I added the third element, tell a story, make a point, or point, story, point, story, story, point, story, point. Take your combination. And then always, here's how it applies to you. And then I think that's mm-hmm. the hook. When I added that element... I think people go, oh, okay, I can see how I can use that now. So I always try to throw in something that you can use it this way. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and that, that kind of also like, it's interesting because to a certain extent, you're eating your own dog food because a lot of times that's how you market and, and sell is the same way, right? It's through the power of stories. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't know if I'd eat my own dog food, but I mean, no, no, you're right, DJ, because that, you know, you know, we've all heard this, right? People remember stories, right? We hear that a lot. People remember stories. And so I've learned that I can data dump somebody. And by the way, uh, you know, I used to just data dump and then I pulled back. So let me just ask some stories, add a little bit of humor. Don't be afraid to, to. And I think this is the part that started appearing after episode 100. 
and that is, and we're at 2.30 right now, and that is you start kind of like being yourself a little bit. I, I'll, I'll say being vulnerable a little bit, being more open. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's when you really get comfortable. And I think that's when people really start to connect even more. And that's just my opinion. But I, I feel the difference now. I get more feedback when I confess something that happened to me. They go, oh, it happened to him. Like I, if I did something stupid and I just fess up, I did something stupid. Let me tell you what I did. And they're like, oh, my God, he makes stupid mistakes too. Yeah, of course, I'm human. You know, stuff happens. But I think being able to share some of your personal, I don't want to say tragedies. They're not tragedies, but, you know, issues or incidents I think is really good in a podcast. 100%. I think that's why people love podcasts, right, is it gives you a chance to be authentic and vulnerable with people. Is there a particular episode early on that you employed that um, that strategy and, and yeah. practice vulnerable uh, be, like stories or, or behavior and yeah. saw a positive result that like, clicks for you? No, nothing clicks. Nothing clicks. I, I just remember telling the story. I hate talking. You know, in, in this intro we just did, you know, for this podcast. Mm. Notice I skipped over. My family came from Puerto Rico, and I boom went to the engineering school, and. I hate talking about myself. That's why I kind of shoot through that stuff real quick. And so that's been very difficult for me. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I joke, you know, food stamps, government cheese, powdered milk. You know, if you know where the Cabrini Green housing projects in Humble Park is in Chicago back in the day, you know, drugs, gangs, violence, the whole bit. You know, I got stories, man. I got stories. No people in the cemetery, no people in prison, that type of thing. But it's, it's really hard for me to talk about myself. And I think that has been my biggest challenge with podcasts and even with speaking that I really don't like talking about myself. But people say you, you got to do more of it. And so I guess it's been trying to leak out little by little. That's that's mm -hmm. the most honest statement I can give you as far as how I've been trying to incorporate this. Because, again, sometimes it seems too self-aggrandizing, you know. Right, right. It's such a fine line <laughs> because, is, like, it is. it's such a buzzword of, like, just right. be authentic. Yeah. but. You can't you can't shoehorn that into a podcast, right? Right. And the thing is, you know, everybody has a sad story. Do you know what I mean? Even if you were raised with a silver spoon, I bet you I can find a sad story in your life. Everybody has gone through some personal tragedy or personal experience. But uh, truth be told, I just did a podcast called Deep Storytelling. And I think it's 227 or something like that. And I went to see a speak, I hear a speaker and I kept talking about the speaker, DJ. I'm like, oh, let me go see the speaker because I like to study great speakers. And so, and then I talk about this in the podcast, I go listen to the guy and there's nothing special about him. And the stories he's telling, I was like, I know where you're going, dude. I can meet you at the end. Do you know what I mean? I can mm -hmm. run to the end. But then he did something surprising. He started peeling back the onion on that story, the layers. And then he started getting a little more personal and becoming, I'll use the word vulnerable on stage. And he did it in such a way that you just connected with the guy. And I said, ah, oh, you know, here he is. And this is only like maybe three or four weeks ago I heard this guy. And he reminded me it's okay to do that if you know how to do it the right way. So now my challenge going forward is how do I implement some of that stuff without being self-aggrandizing? Like, woe is me. Look how poor I was. Because nobody – I don't want to say nobody gives a rip, but eh, nobody gives a rip. Mm. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. Yeah, because it's like – if it's done right, it's the, one of the most powerful tools. Right. Uh, but if it's if it's done uh, inauthentically, I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, to use that word, it's, there's nothing cheesier, right? Yeah. I, I think what I hear, sometimes when I hear people just really lay it on with their help, you know, poor, you know, this, you know, 
Uh, my, my young friend got killed when I was young. I witnessed this. I witnessed that. I seen this. I get that. You know, I get that where you have to share some of that. But if I'm in the audience sitting there, maybe that's just because I'm an engineer. I'm, you know, more like, you know, you know, left brain than right brain that when I hear too much of that, I'm just like I shut down. Mm. You know what I mean? So I, I have a very skewed perspective because some people are like, oh, my God, that was so interesting that was so <laughs> fascinating right and i'm like uh that was boring you know because i've heard you yeah. know and so but some people really love that and so i gotta as you say learn to walk that fine line between authenticity and inauthenticity mm-hmm. it's tough. yeah i totally get that man because like i'm a very cynical person myself it's like when i hear people telling going very deep into those personal details and like oversharing yeah. it's like what what are you what are you trying to get out of this what are you trying to prime me for you know right. what i mean it's too much so, oversharing sometimes i'm like all right pull back and, and plus when i go hear a speaker i i need new perspectives you know that's what i'm looking for i'm sitting here i'm giving you an hour of my time please shift my paradigm i don't need to cry i don't need to get in touch with my inner self and i don't get, need to get in touch with my feminine self i just don't you know what i mean i come here Boom, I want content. And so when I hear too much storytelling like that, I don't like it. But I do like stories that have a point. And then here's how it applies to you. I go, oh, okay, that's great. Because there's nothing if – you, if you have a great point to make and you wrap it in a great story, man, it's just more memorable. It's more sticky. And I love that. Absolutely, yeah. And you – I mean you're a master of it on your show. Um, so let's talk about – the process kind of for you of creating um, the show and the stories that you're working on. What does that, that look like? Do you have kind of like a, a catalog of different stories or is it like something when something happens to you or you hear a, a number, like you said, mm-hmm. you just like write down a note and then write about it later. Or what, what does that process and content calendar look like? I for you? have, I'll, sh- I'll show you what I got here. I'll show you. So it's, it's a show and tell right now. I know. Ooh, perfect. To, so look, I mean, this is, so you'll see that it's not an exaggeration. So these are like index cards. I can see this. And it's like massive amount of index cards. Uh, oh, man. And, and so what happens is, and I'll just try to show you on the cameras. You can just see some of these. I can go all day with these. And then oh, okay. I do a lot of writing. By the way, these aren't all my index cards. And so what happens is I hear something. I read a book. And you get the idea, man. It's like a lot. And so what happens is I have index cards in my drawer. Right? I really have them all over the house. And so what, and by the way, this is, I think, the ultimate strategy because I have them everywhere, right? And so when, uh, let's say I'm walking, the only time I don't have an index card is when I'm walking, but then I write it in my notes. So sometimes I walk, I walk for 20 minutes a day. And then what I do is I put on a meditative instrumental, like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, something like that, just, just told. And what it does after like 10 minutes, I just go into this trance for some reason. It's just the worst thing. You're just walking and your mind just goes. And all of a sudden, you st- concepts begin to fly in your head about what you want to talk about. That's one way I do it. When I have something happen to me at the store, I immediately put it in my phone real quick, just so I just something, just a couple of words to trigger me. Or when I get home, I just write it on one of the index cards. Three is I read a lot. So I try to read one book a week. As I read the book, it's too bad I don't have them up here because I this is just one book, but this is not. I mean, I note these things up. And so what I do is I'm reading. I see something. Something usually triggers me. Like if I see a data point, I go, huh. And then I write the data point down. And then I said, oh, yeah, let's tie it to this concept. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I just start stacking them like you see here. And then you can't see it, but my podcast station is over there. And then what I do 
is I simply just this is not joking. I know people can't see this. I just walked over to my podcast station. So these are one, two, three, four, five. Right? These are the oh, next wow. five episodes right here. So these oh, wow. are already set up at the podcast station. Now this is a little bigger than an index card. So what I do is I take it from an index card and then I just transfer it over here. So I can have the full concept. And then this becomes my 10-minute podcast. And that's how I do uh, it. Oh, very cool. I like That's a very engineered approach to... It's so uh, engineered. <laughs> By the way, it's, it's the way I do my speeches also. So in my speeches, I have I write on each card story point, story point, story point. Every card represents story point. Each card is typically a five-minute module. Mm-hmm. So if I got an hour to speak... Then, obviously, for each five minutes, I typically take about maybe seven of them, right? Mm. And I begin to weave them together. You think, wait a minute, that's 35. But there's a lot of bridging between concepts, a lot of injection of humor, whatever it may be, audience interaction. And so then what I do is I move the cards around on my desk if I want to change the sequence of my speech. So what I do is I think in modules, Wow. I like that. That's a very, yeah, very systematic approach. I also like, I'm curious because the book you showed for, for those of you that can't see, um, he it looked extremely marked up with yeah. uh, post-its and stuff. Yeah. How do you power through a book a week with all of those annotations and processing all of that information? That seems like a lot of work. You don't, you, I read this a while back and it really helped. When you, when you pick up a book, so two rules. One is when you pick up a book, understand why you're reading that book. So I say to myself, the reason I'm reading this book is I want sales tips that I have not covered in my my course, in my podcast, or something that would trigger me, right? So I do that. And then, so that's one way. I also have the 100-page rule. If after 100 pages, this book is junk, I stop reading it, I donate it to Goodwill, okay? Mm-hmm. Because it's not filling, fulfilling my purpose. Usually the first 100 pages is the best stuff. You know, I just read one called Atomic Habits. Oh, my God. I, re- I went through that one twice, and that one took me two weeks to go through because it was that big, that good, that juicy. But that book was worth two or three other books, if you know what I mean, because it was that mm-hmm. good. Uh, but typically, I just powered through one in about three days, one called Sales Stampede. I'll do a book review on that one. It's a really good book on selling from the front of the room. A lot of good data points. And from that one, I got maybe four index cards, four ideas. Those are four podcasts. So imagine, nice. yeah. So imagine that if each book you can get at least three ideas, just three, and then boom, you go to the next book. Do you know what I mean? But typically, mm-hmm. I finish my books about maybe seventy percent of the time. I finish my books like end to end, like really read them through. And then rare is a moment like Atomic Habits where you read that thing twice. You go, it's still too good. It's really good. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where do you? Because uh, if you have a seventy percent hit rate on them, I mean, it sounds like you're getting good good inputs into the system. So where are you finding recommendations for books? Good question. So, uh, you know, when you go to Amazon, it's always doing some recommendations at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I really look at those reviews. And then I look at the topic and I said, is it like one degree off center? I don't want to read the same thing about selling all the time or influence or persuasion. So like this one that somebody, rec- this was just a friend recommended this thing called Sales Stampede by Dan, Dave D. And he said, this guy sells from the front of the room. He does a lot of neuro-linguistic programming. And he's known to be able to create a sales stampede to the back of the room. I'm like, well, how does he do that? Well, that sounds interesting. Let me read that book. And it's a, it was a fascinating book. And so when people recommend books, I, like I said, I just say I, I log them into my Amazon account 
You know how those mm-hmm. you can actually put in your watch list? And so my watch list is loaded. So I'm, I'm not starving for books to choose from. And then sometimes, you know, something pops up on the radar. You say, yeah, I think I'll get that book. So I have okay. about I have at least about five books always on hold in my office waiting for me. Nice. Yeah, that's a good strategy. Yeah. And you kind of flip through and pick whatever one grabs you the most. Correct. Correct. And like I said, sometimes you want to do something a little different. Like the Atomic Habits was like I was at the airport. I go, hmm, Atomic Habits. Interesting. Look through a couple of pages. Eh, yeah, let me do that. Uh, two, three weeks ago, I, no, about a month ago, I was with um, at a presentation. And I don't know if you know who Daniel Pink is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Daniel Pink, he wrote uh, Drive and uh, Selling is Human, and he's got a new book called When. So he did this, like, 20-minute presentation on When. I was like, oh, my God, i got to get that book. So I just ordered the book right there with my phone, and it's waiting for me at home. So that's why I always have a stack of books. Awesome. Well, God bless Amazon, uh, our boy Jeff Bezos. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Also part of Bald Mafia now. But – so let's talk about uh, you, you're obviously congratulations. You're going to hit a uh, hundred thousand downloads this <laughs> month. Um, it's you know getting to that point obviously takes time and a lot of effort. Um, you, you mentioned you started with YouTube and you kind of cut your teeth making you know over a thousand YouTube videos. But how have you gone about growing your podcast audience uh, over the last three years? The how did I do that? I mean it's it's really a lot of things coming together. You know the 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 videos are driving a lot of traffic to the site. You know, and there you can find my podcast as well. And so I use an, uh, you probably use Libsyn, Liberated mm-hmm. Syndicate. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a podcast service that basically disseminates everything on iTunes. What is it? Uh, uh, Stitcher. Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, you get the idea. Spotify. And, and, yep. But yeah, and what's also interesting, I don't know if you looked at where your traffic is coming from, but all of a sudden you've seen podcasts that you've never heard of before. So it's, it's disseminating even further into the net. Like Podbean was one I just heard. I go, where'd that one come from? But they're carrying mm-hmm. my podcast as well. And so one of the things, one of the tricks I've used to really grow my podcast, here it comes, this is special, is that I took the audio. And then if you go online, you'll see it. I put a graphic with a little pulsating thing on it, if you've seen mm-hmm. them on YouTube. So I dual purpose the podcast. I load it up so you can listen to it or you can watch it, so to speak, on YouTube as well. And on YouTube, I already had a great following. We're up to like, I think, 170,000 subs. And so that also powers, you know, the actual podcast. So I, I leverage YouTube to actually drive traffic to my actual podcast. Yeah, I saw because I noticed that. I was wondering how those so those YouTube videos with the static graphics have been performing pretty well for you. Very well. Like I said, they're the, I wish the counts were higher because I think my content is that good, but people want to see my face. And mm-hmm. so the counts are typically about 1,000, 2,000, but I believe in the long tail effect. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I have about maybe three videos that have passed the 1 million mark. But then there's that long tail of you know 20,000 here, 5,000 there, 1,000 there, kind of bunch of those. When you get 1,000 plus videos, all that stuff begins to add up. So it, you know, we're doing about, I mean, traffic is falling a little bit. I, I think YouTube has done an algorithm jigger, you know, because we were doing about 4,000 subs a month and we're about 2,000 subs a month. I mean, still not bad, but, mm-hmm. you know, when you were at 4,000, you're like, okay, now I got to build back up again. So, but that has been the biggest, I guess, leverage point using my YouTube channel to push that. And so right now, uh, my new push, if you look at my Instagram account, I'm pushing, I'm going into IGTV, I'm taking the same video, which is really, again, the audio with just a static picture and a little pulsing thing, and I'm putting it on Instagram TV. And I just started doing that about uh, two, three days ago. We'll see oh, how that works. 
Yeah, I'm curious to hear how that um, yeah. how that works. Have you have you experimented or thought about doing just like solo video uh, for your podcast um, as a companion? What do you mean a solo video? Just like me talking and looking into the camera? Yeah, just literally turning on a, a, a video while you record the podcast. I, I, by the way, we're in the process of doing that right now. So uh, okay. I'm putting together something called it. I, I have not, no other no other name for it. So for now, it's the Victor Antonio Show, mm. and it's going to be a a 30 to 40 minute format. We're, we're going to talk about uh, my, my topics could be money, music, motivation, and maybe talk about a movie at the end. So I'm going to try to combine business and entertainment a little bit. Mm. And basically, it's a self-serving podcast where I'm just going to talk about what I want to talk about. You know what I mean? When it comes oh, to talking yeah. about money, I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. And then I'm going to throw in a song. I just heard this song, this new cut from da-da-da-da-da. Let's play that one. You know what I mean? And then jump into some motivation. Here's what I read recently. And then, hey, this is the movie I went to see this week. Or here's something I binged on this weekend. You know, and so we're creating that right now. And hopefully we'll launch that August 1st. And so that's going to be a longer format. No guess. So for now, but maybe down the road we will do that. But for right now, that's the Victor Antonio show coming. And that's just going to be more like I just want to start enjoying this even more by talking mm. about what I want to talk about. The the I should emphasize, in case you don't ask me this question, but I'm sure you will, <laughs> is that how has it helped financially? And that is this these podcasts. I can't tell you how many times uh, I'm a speaker, so I get booked a lot, you know, to speak to you or do sales workshops. And I can't tell you how many times somebody says, look, I've been listening to your podcast for more than a year now. I finally told my, my vice president we had to bring you in, da, 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 da. And sure enough, they pay me. I come in. I do my thing. So, you know, the podcast has had a great return on investment. Yeah, well, that's why I was going to ask kind of how the podcast is um, played into all of the ridiculous amounts of awesome content you have. I mean, you mentioned right. 13 books, right. uh, yeah, 1,000 plus YouTube videos now. Uh, 250 plus podcast episodes you are uh you have this massive just log of, of content so are you just getting tons of inbound then uh inbound. at this point i haven't made a cold call in years you know i gotta be honest i haven't I, you know the so all all the business i get is all inbound and you know i always emphasize to people that video marketing online podcast now is just another layer it works if you work it, but the trick is to be consistent over time. So our schedule is this, uh, one video, two podcasts every week. So we mm. post on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Sundays, and we post in the evening at 7 p.m. That's our new time frame. And so we now know that that's what we have to do. So all I got to do is come up with two podcasts and one video, you know, every week. And that's not hard to do, especially if you're reading a lot of content. People always tell me, don't you get tired of talking about sales? Haven't you run out of stuff to talk about? There's, <laughs> there's so many permutations to selling because there's so many different industries. Uh, there's so many different styles of selling. There's so many new style uh, studies coming out. And also, the market continues to change. Like my most recent book was on artificial intelligence, how it's changing the world of selling. And so all this stuff is happening. And I'm almost like a, I, it's like a reporter just documenting what's going on. And so, you know, I, I hate the word legacy. I really do. But I do like to think of all the content I produce as a body of work. And so mm -hmm. my, my goal is just to just create this body of work that maybe it'll help somebody. That's yeah. my mindset. Absolutely. Um, what, one other question kind of go, that I skipped over going back to growing the show. Um, have, have you been doing a lot? So obviously you're uh, a guest here on Behind the Podcast. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, but is that something you typically do? do you inter did you find uh, interviewing on other shows has helped grow your reach? And, and um, if so, how? 
I don't know if it's helped grow the business, but I'm that guy that if I got time, I'm doing a podcast. Like we, I didn't know who you were. And you said, I'm just starting out. And I, I said, I don't care. You know, let me get on your podcast. You know, for all I know, tomorrow you're going to be the next Joe Rogan. I was, I was like, yeah, I should have gotten on his podcast. So right before this one, I was on a podcast with um, Chris Widener. He's talking about speakers, you know, uh, in the speaking business. And so, you know, this month, I think I have maybe four or five interviews people want to do with me. So I really just try to say yes to everybody. No matter how small or how big you are, I just try to say yes if it fits in my schedule. So That's, how is oh. how is that impacted, DJ? I, I haven't tracked it. I don't know. But I got to believe it's all cumulative, my friend. It's all cumulative. So that's that's so interesting, and I I appreciate and I, I resonate a lot with what you're saying of like let's play the long term games mm-hmm. uh, over and over. And you also seem like a, as a guy who reads, you know, tries to read a book a week, and you're you're constantly putting out stuff. It seems like you're a very open minded guy. So like, how did you cultivate that open mindedness? Oh my God, nobody's ever asked me that question. Open mindedness. Um, uh, you know, you reminded me of an Ayn Rand statement. Ayn Rand, I love. Do you know who Ayn Rand is? Uh, yeah, Fountainhead and Alice Shrugged. Right. Those so books. Ayn Rand said, never have an open mind because people can throw anything in there. Never have a closed mind because you'll never learn anything. He says, always have an active, critical mind. And so I like to think that's what I have. And so I two things. Why did I say to, yes to DJ when I didn't even know him, right? Mm-hmm. That's because I remember when I was coming up in the speaking business, I didn't get a lot of people who wanted to help me. And I said, you know, that's really punkish of people. Not to want to help. You know, I said, you know, I won't do that. When, when somebody's getting started and I, and I have speakers who call me, email me, and I just said, you know, if I can say yes, I'll say yes. That's been my mindset. You know what I mean? Only because I've been there where, damn, so the only reason you want to talk to me is when I get big. But right now when I'm trying to get started, nobody wants to talk to me. And I'm like, I told myself, don't do that to people. Don't, you know, put them in the box like, DJ, you can't help me right now. So right now I don't want to talk to you. You know, if I can be so blunt, that's kind of shitty. Right. And so I, I don't I don't want I've decided not to be that person. So that's one. And so I'm really open. Now, I read a lot because I, I I like when people tell me things and I go, now, let me go check it out. Let me go check it out for myself. And if I could be OK, this is the part that's going to be really revealing here. OK, this is the part that's the vulnerable piece, the authentic. Piece. <laughs> so so this is probably the deepest I'm going to go with this, but I'll do my best and not to go too deep. So. We came, my mother had a third grade education. My father had a fifth grade education. Spoke no English when they moved to Chicago, right? <clears throat> my, my mother was like, go to school, get the education, get the J-O-B. Got it, mom. Go to school. We were raised in a neighborhood where it was very isolated. You know, it was pretty much half, half black, half Hispanic. If you saw a white person there, you're like, what are you doing around here? It's like a, <laughs> like a spotted white owl. owl. You know, it's like, well, where'd that come from? Right? And it wasn't until I got to college that now I had to, like, Blend with the world, so to speak. You know, it's more international. But in the neighborhood, you know, we weren't taught to read. And even through college, I hated reading. I hated reading. When I got into corporate America, you know, I, I didn't know how to fit in. I, I can't explain it. It's like, I, you know, I came from the hood. I had an engineering degree, but I, I, I didn't fit in. And so one of the things, and I don't know how I decided to do this, but I did, is that I noticed people were always reading a book, a business book, you know? And I said, you know what? I'm going to read what they're reading. And by they, I mean executives, people in business in general, right? And so I started doing that. Like that, when a conversation came up or I wanted to initiate a conversation, I could say, hey, what would you think of that book? I just finished reading it. 
or when we were in general conversation, I was able to insert myself. And that was my way of transcending and being able to connect with people because I was well read, you know, and people go, okay, this guy's well read. And they, and you can see it, DJ. They're, they're, they look at you differently. And that's, that was the drug for me that I realized that knowledge truly is power, especially if it's applied. But just having this critical knowledge really helped me in terms of having conversations with people and being able to discuss business concepts or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I relate a lot to that. Like I, I also, you know, being very blessed to grow up in the Internet age, like I like there's so much you could you could learn anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, with YouTube books, uh, free courses now, it's, it would be a shame if you didn't explore your, your career, your curiosities yeah. and, and, and get out there. Right. Well, think about it. When I, when I was coming up, remember, there was no Internet around that time. There was no Internet still. I know you're thinking, really? Was there a time <laughs> no Internet existed, Victor? How old are you, brother? So, it, you know, the Internet was just not even, you know, it was the thought of the Internet was still there. ARPANET is all we knew at the time, right? And so, you know, I remember going to the bookstore, the secondhand bookstores, the used bookstores, just to get these books. And so that was old school, right, where you actually drove to the bookstore just to get books. And so now you're right. There is no excuse for not learning anything. I mean, it's now it's how do you curate the information you want to learn because there's so much of it. Right. A hundred percent. So uh, getting back to podcasting here, what uh, in the three years you, you've been been podcasting, what what have you loved the most about the, the medium as a whole or, or just producing a show? I, I think for me, it's that. You know, when, when, when I read, because again, natural reader, it's almost like an outlet. You know what I mean? Like release the pressure valve a little bit. And mm-hmm. that, that is what I like about it. Cause, but I also, again, when I talked about, I view it as a body of work is I learned something. I learned a concept. Let me document this through a podcast. Let me just document this. Let me talk about it. And that to me is a verbal documentation of a piece of knowledge I have. Now, what's really fascinating is that. You know, I'll go back and listen to one of my old podcasts. I'm like, oh, my God, I totally forgot that because we can't keep it all up here. Right. We just can't. Our retention isn't that great. And so it's always fascinating when I go back to one of my earlier podcasts. I go, oh, wow, I totally forgot this subject. And I think that that's a kid. That's a personal kick I get. Right. But I, I think to me, a podcast is an outlet to document something, a way of thinking. And what's even more fascinating is that when you listen to my earlier podcast, for me, is like, I don't know if I agree totally with that 100%. Now, I would add this spin to it, and now I would add another layer on it. So you almost see yourself growing through your podcast as well. I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense. but Yeah, that's inter- it's, it's interesting, right? Because you, uh, as humans, we have all of these thoughts right, that race through our heads, but a podcast forces you to articulate it and put concrete words. Like It's the same that, that journaling and writing does, but podcasting even yes. one step further right, makes you – Forces you to articulate and get those ideas out into the I wild. I like that. I like that better. It's it's it's, it's like audio journaling. You mm. know what I mean? And then so I, I love that phrase, DJ. Much better. The also the you know how sometimes something sounds good in your head. You know it sounds really good in your head <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah, it sounds really good in your head. It's like if you know if you're a guy, you remember when you wanted to talk to that girl and the night before you kind of rehearsed your lines. You know, like oh, right, here's what I'm gonna say. She's probably gonna say this. I'm gonna say that. She's gonna say that. And ah, oh, man, it sounds really good. Then you get there, it all it's all messed up, right? Well, sometimes, well, no, not sometimes. A lot of times, it sounds really good in my head, and then when I write it out on my index card, I go, 
uh, something missing. There's a piece missing. And I can tell when something's missing. And I go, ah. and then what you don't see is how many edits I go through. So typically I go through about maybe at least two or three tries before I finally get it. This is after I know what I'm talking about. Now let me do it. And that's the frustrating piece about it. You know, it's really frustrating. And by the way, I, I use, just to share what I use, I use, and I don't know if it's available anymore, and I'm, I'm afraid that if uh, I delete it off my phone, I'm screwed. I use something called Boss Jock. Okay. Boss, B-O-S-S, Jock, J-O-C-K. That's the app I use. I have a uh, an iPhone, and I can't find it anymore, but it's still on my phone, right? And what I love about Boss Jock is that, you know, you plug it in, you know, you get the special box, you can use a... Um, uh, you know, an XLR, you know, microphone, but it has, you know, where you can actually put the music into these little cartridges, those carts. Mm -hmm. So I can hit the intro music and then hit, when I start talking, hit it again, it outros itself. And then when I finish the podcast, hit it in intro and outro it again. And there's zero editing, zero wow. editing. I send, so the podcast itself is done. Then I just send it over to my son who's an audio genius and he cleans it up for me, gives me that little crunchy sound, you know? <laughs> and so that's, that's how I do it. But boss jock is an app I use. Hopefully they got it back up again. Awesome. Um, what has been your biggest struggle to date with the podcast? Is there anything that you're struggling with right now? I, I think it was just trying to grow the, you know, get to a hundred thousand faster, you know? And then the other thing we always, everybody struggles with, right? Is the discipline to stick to it. Because, you know, sometimes I got I to gotta yell at myself. Like, Come on, Victor. It's only two. That's all you got to do. You got to do two. Just go do two. You know, and you got to talk yourself into do it. Even if, when it's all written out, I still got to talk myself. Sometimes you go, is anybody listening? I think the first 50 to 100, you're like, is anybody listening? Does anybody care? And you almost have to put your head down and not pay attention. Did the same thing with my YouTube video. I was getting like 10, 15 views. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Am I wasting my time? And so if you're listening to this, I mean, you've got to push through. I would give everybody the challenge. You've got to produce at least 100. Mm. That's your Yeah, th that seems like the magic number, right? Yeah, 100. To get that stickiness. Yeah. Well, so you kind of mentioned it. Um, we talked about, you know, you do two episodes per week. Do you ever, like, record in advance and, like, batch process episodes, or is it all, uh, like, very fresh uh, weekly content? No, batch process. Great question. So right now I got podcasts recorded all the way through – uh, September, mid-September already. They're in the, you know, they're in the pipe, so to speak. And that's because I've learned to take advantage of, you know, sometimes you're just feeling the mojo. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Sometimes you're just in the flow, man. And I've learned that once I'm in the flow, just go, man. Just keep producing them and just keep producing them, especially if they're already written out. Because I know there's going to be a time where I'm not going to want to do any, right? And so right now, I, I'm, I think I'm two months out with podcasts already. So it's like I can, I can sit back, but what I'll do now is I'll power through and just continue to do more. My speaking schedule picks up at the end of August, beginning of September. So now these are already in the pipe, but I'm trying to get, you know, stuff all the way out through October, maybe November. So mm -hmm. when I'm speaking on the road, I don't have to worry about it. So I, that's a great question. So I do do a lot of batch processing. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Great that's question. that's great it. Question. It's just, it, it's like a good, just a good way to feel like you're getting ahead a little bit. But yeah, I, I agree with like the, uh, you know, as a writer as well, like when you get the motivation wave, write it as long, as far as it'll yeah. take you. Squeeze I, I, out one every of the things drop. I do, this is just a personal tip, uh, cause people always say, how do you write 13 bucks? Uh, you know, and do these podcasts. What I do is my, my routine is to get up at five, five thirty, typically about five, right? 
by 5.30, I'm at Starbucks, right? And so from 5.30 to 7.30, I just create or read. So I'm reading something and then create. I'm usually creating something. Um, and so that th- those are my two golden hours. Dan Ariely, who wrote the book uh, Predictably Irrational, he's like a neuroscientist. He said everybody has two golden hours where you're just boom, man, that's your flow. Like my son is totally opposite from me. His flow begins like at one in the morning. You know, that's where his flow begins. But if I can ask you, DJ, what do you think your your two hour flow is where it's like, man, you can just focus and stuff gets done? Yeah, I, I relate with the morning thing. I like to typically yeah, get going about an hour after waking up, either wake up and go for a walk or, or get a read in and then grab a cup of coffee and get to work. So I agree. I relate to that. Yeah. And so what I do is I so, so my routine is be there. Sit, I'm, I'm usually sitting down by 530. I got a two hour ambient mix. No words, just ambient music, as I mentioned. Got my my, bull, my Bose uh, noise cancellation deal, so I don't hear anything else. And I just go into a trance, man. I just get stuff done. And that's how I get a lot of reading done. And then some of these podcasts. And I, if I don't get anything done for the rest of the day, I don't feel bad. Because I know that two hours was at least worth four hours of content oh, development. That's so powerful because, yeah, then the rest of the day you're just playing on house money essentially, right? That's it. Good way of looking at it. Good way of looking at it. The the book When by Daniel Pink, it's really fascinating because he talks about these natural cycles that most of us are in, like 80 percent. And what he found out when he looked at, you know, they studied tweets, they studied, you know, um, what do you call those uh, stock market calls where you got to do the call at the end of the quarter, uh, the annual report calls. And he found out that basically most of us are morning people. And in the morning, when you're in the morning, that's when you should do your heavy lifting, right? Then he said after 11 o'clock, sometimes 12, depending on the curve, he says from 11 to about 5, we just drop. Everything gets negative. In fact, even the tweets are more negative online, right? And then after 5 o'clock, it starts peaking, really cruising around 9 to 11 p.m. And so he broke it up in three sections. He says what you want to do is in the early morning, you want to do the really heavy lifting stuff, the stuff that requires real thought. He says after 11 or 12 o'clock, you want to do the administrative stuff, the mindless stuff. Yeah, let me do this, you know, and just respond. And then what was interesting, when, when it starts kicking back up after around 5 or 6 o'clock, he says that's when you want to do, he called it your insight work, your mm-hmm. creative work. Like, what if? You know, that's where your brain just goes off. on. A, and I thought that's interesting. Heavy lifting, morning, midday administrative, and in the evening, just the what if creative stuff starts flowing. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I I. I have never viewed a, a day kind of in those three segments like that, but I might actually uh, take some advice from this interview yeah, and, uh, yeah. and and give it a whirl. Because um, just anecdotally, that seems like I get most of my important stuff done before lunch anyway. So why not double down on that and reduce all distractions and, and get the most out of it? Yeah, it's a really and, good book. I recommend it. It's called When. And when? it really has some interesting, fascinating data. Interesting. Uh, well, so just a last question before we wrap up with the final five here. Uh where, where do you see the podcast industry going uh, over the next few years? I mean, you're obviously you're invested in it. Do you – I mean, we're on a rapid growth trajectory uh, uh, over the last – especially the last seven months here. Um, where do you see things going? You know, I, I haven't really thought about it, but my knee-jerk reaction is because I've – you know, for those of you who don't know, I wrote this book on artificial intelligence, which means I dug deep into what this stuff really is. And one of the things I see – if I can play futurist for just a second, 
is that typically when we think of AI and content, we think about written content. What's happening now is that you got to see some of these algorithms, amazing stuff. They can actually go into a movie and spine the scene for you. You say, look, I'm looking for two cars, guys running, tall building in the background around sunset. And the thing, the algorithm can actually find that scene for you in the movie, right? And so what is now happening is that they're starting to go into your audio and they're actually starting to mine that for data. Now, typically when we talk about data, we talk about like meta tags, right? You tag your audio file with meta tags, you know, ID tags. Hey, this is what this podcast is about, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now they're, the, the algorithms are so powerful, they can go in there, listen to the thing, determine the content for you. So no matter what you label, it doesn't matter. The system will decide for you. It can determine your sentiment. Were you pissed off? Were you angry? Were you happy? Were you sad? What were you? It'll, it'll pull that stuff out. And so all of a sudden, all these audio files are now becoming databases of information. So they're collecting all this data. So to me, when I see the future of podcasts, I see a future where they're going to mine this stuff uh, either for if we mention Coke. Do you know what I mean? It's going to find this podcast because it'll mine for that word. And so I think podcasts might be used to actually make machines more intelligent. How that would benefit us, I have no idea. But I think to me, I think podcasts will now be used as data storage devices to help machines make more intelligent decisions when it comes to, you know, uh, tone, uh, sentiment. How do I feel about this? What people are saying? Imagine the future where politicians could actually mine this type of audio data to kind of get a consensus of what the population thinks. It's citizenry. What are they thinking? Right. And then it'll be able to crunch all these podcasts and figure out what's what. That's what I think is amazing. Where it's going, I have no idea. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting insight. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about it from that lens, but it makes a lot of sense, uh, right? Like if you're going to train um, natural language processing uh, algorithms, why not use natural language found in podcasts, right? It makes go. a lot of right. sense. It does. It uh, does. Interesting. All right, well, let's wrap it up with the final five, Victor. Uh, what is, you mentioned Atomic Habits, but aside from that, what's the best book you have recently read? Um, the Effortless Experience. The Effortless Experience, it was written by, ah, I think it was Matt Dixon, uh, Adamson or something like that. The Effortless Experience is one of those books you read. And it, this came out like four years ago. And th- this book proves to me that because it, it doesn't have a lot of ratings. And I'm like, why doesn't this book have a lot of ratings? It talks about how people buy today. And the more effortless you can make the experience the more likely they are to buy. In a world of product parity, where everything's a commodity, everybody, uh, we have the equality of quality, the quality is all the same, everything's the same. What customers are looking for is make it easy for me to buy from you. And this book really digs into how that is working. Now, if you're a salesperson, this matters. If you're an organization, this really matters. And without going into too much detail, it really talks about how you can set up even conversations to make buying easy. One of my favorite studies was they they moved the uh, reset your password button to a different part of the page and made it a one-step process. And all of a sudden, their offline business, you know, people showing up to, let's say, Wells Fargo to, hey, can you help me with this? That dropped by like 47%, some crazy number like that, just by wow. understanding that by making it present, putting it in a place where people can find it, shortening the process, making it effortless, that people would rather deal with the machine than go see a human being. 
And that was a cost-effective strategy. So The Effortless Experience would be a book I'd highly recommend. And as we've talked about already, Atomic Habits, excellent book, must read. That's awesome. going to be on my always recommend the people. That's how good Perfect. it is. Yeah, I am going to have to pick that up after this. I, I am intrigued. Uh, number two, who are your favorite podcasters right now? Maybe one or two podcasts you love right now. Podcasts. Uh, staples are Gary V. right? I like the Joe Rogan show when I hear that. I like the interview styles. The, I think it's about it. I'm trying to remember this guy's name, and I can't remember. He's is it's EO Entrepreneurs on Fire, and I can't remember. Oh, Johnny Lee Dumas. Yeah, there you right? go. I like his stuff also. You know, his he, he has. I like him because he's just so, uh, you know, he's so Ron Howard Opie when he talks. You know, and he's so human. He's so, you know what I mean. He's so real, and I I, I dig that about him. Plus, he lives in Puerto Rico. You know, so you can, you know, get some good tax benefits from there. So I salute him for that. Um, but I try to listen to, there's one called, uh, AI in industry. I forgot yeah. the guy's name where he talks about just about AI. And I think his podcasts are excellent. And I think those are the ones I typically listen to a little technical, a little motivation. And then, you know, the standard Gary Vee, Joe Rogan, some of these guys. Awesome. Uh, what does your ideal pizza look like? What do you get on your pizza? Oh man, I like the Supreme, man. I like, I'm a meat lover. So when they can throw all the junk on top of it, but I got to be honest, man, I'm starting to really, really like extra tomatoes. I think, by Ooh. the way, I think the biggest sin is when people put pineapple <laughs> on their pizza. I think that's wrong. I think that should be outlawed. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> what about, what about anchovies? How do you feel about anchovies? I, I, I love anchovies, man. I'm starting, you know, it's funny because, you know, I, I love the meat lovers, right? And so now I'm starting to kind of move towards more vegetables as I'm getting older or something. And so I'm starting to crave that a little more. But, yeah, favorite meat is chicken if you're going to ask. Perfect. Um, so dead or alive, who is the person you'd love to interview the most? So say if you had an interview podcast, uh, if there was one person throughout history, uh, who would you like to interview? Prince. I'm a Prince okay. fan. Yeah, I'm a Prince fan. I just, you know, Prince of the Revolution. I, I think – to me, he was like the, the musical Beethoven of our time. Guy plays like, what is it, 23, 26 instruments. And I think his library of music is just incredible. And I think he was a few degrees off center, which is, would make that even more interesting. And so the only question I would have is, will he actually talk? You know how he just never really wanted to talk or open up? But if I can get him to open up, he would be, I think, a fascinating interview. Absolutely. Yeah, we always play, uh, me and my friends, when we get together, we, we play the um, – the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame video where they play "Where My uh, When My Guitar Gently Weeps," I believe that the Beatles song, and he does the incredible solo and yeah, just throws does. his he guitar killed, up in the it. air. He killed it, man! He killed <laughs> oh, that yeah. thing. He That's one of the it. best solos, man. Favorite is, song is uh, I think it's still "Little Red Corvette." Oh yeah, he, he was. Oh man, yeah, he. I mean, because later on, obviously, he went more uh, the, the pop route, but like his guitaring skills are inc like undeniable. Like, he was an incredible yeah. guitarist. But I mean, just a musician in general. If you really listen to the, I, I was always impressed with, with Dove Cry. Well, if you hear the, the backstory, was he just took out the bass? He says, "Here's a song. Let's let's put no bass on this thing. Let's just take it out." And all of a sudden, the song becomes a hit, which is basically a bunch of drums and synthesizers. So I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Awesome. See, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just light up when I when I think of that guy because it'd be a fascinating interview. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Prince would be an awesome interview. Um, may he rest in peace. Uh, final question. What would you do differently uh, if you were to start a podcast from scratch today? Oh, good question. Uh, I don't have a lot of regrets in the podcast in the way I started. I, you know, I'm trying to think, do I have any regrets? The answer is no, I don't have any regrets. I think, you know, it's gone according to plan, uh, maybe more, you know, mm -hmm. but I think the pace is good. 
the the you know the one that nags me in the back of my mind, DJ, is because you know I don't have any guests. I don't do guests, right? And that's what people keep pinging me about. Why don't you have guests, Victor? And you know because they can help you market so forth and so on. So maybe eventually I'll relent. And so, and maybe I'll find out that I really take off after that, and then I'll be kicking myself in the ass. And I'll call you back up, DJ. Now I have your answer. I should have had <laughs> guests on my show. <laughs> so that uh, might be it. Awesome. Well, Victor, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a lot of fun, dude. I, this has like, been a great conversation. I appreciate you opening up uh, about your process and you know sharing some of the numbers and all that different stuff. I think there's a ton of value in here. People are going to get a lot out of this. So I appreciate I it, man. I hope so, man. If, if you're thinking of a podcast and, you know, this, I mean, think about it, man. I mean, if, I don't mean, let me just get on my soapbox for 30 seconds. Yeah. We have the ability, because I'm older than probably some of you listening to this, the, you know, back then you had to rent. I mean, if, if somebody said to me, hey, look, how would you like to transmit your voice all over the world? Me, they might say, well, how much is that going to cost? Because I, I got to go to a studio, right? I got to rent these antennas, have my own tower. I mean, think about it. The Internet, YouTube, a podcast. People are listening to you around the world, and it's, it's free. I mean, you yeah. just, I don't know. You know, I, sometimes I think millennials just take that for granted. But I'm like, dude, it's free. Why aren't you doing something? Absolutely. And everyone, yes, please go check out the Sales Influence Podcast. Victor, where can uh, everyone find you uh, on the interwebs? Uh, just VictorAntonio.com. Or just type in Victor Antonio and check out the podcast. Again, the Sales Influence Podcast. I think you'll love it. And short to the point, good stuff. Absolutely. I love the slogan, by the way. I forgot to touch on that. Finding the why and how people buy. I think it's so clever and so concise. Uh, well done. Yeah. Uh, I I started thinking about, you know, why is it that people make buying decisions? And that's where it came from. Finding the why and how people buy. And by the way, everybody tells me, because at the end, you know how I ended, right? Selling ain't hard when you know how, right? Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times people spit that at me. That's when you know you got a brand. You know what I mean? People go, hey, Victor, selling ain't hard when you know how. I'm like, yeah, thank you. I know that. So it's, it's cool when you can come up with your own little riff. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Victor. I appreciate it. DJ, thank you, brother.